Hey human, play some music. Hi, welcome to a very uh, special edition of, um, what are we doing? Revision? Revision. We're still doing yes, Revision. That's, that's still the name. <laughs> so it, the reason why it's so special is obviously this sounds a little bit different than normally. We are sitting on the 22nd floor in Midtown, um, outside, overlooking uh, Grand Central Station. It's a remarkable view. The weather's great. The weather is, actually it's perfect. It's awesome. And we talk about the weather on our Futurist forca- uh, podcast like way too much. But it's amazing. Uh, and the reason why we're doing it is because uh, we actually have a, kind of a little special episode um, for everybody today that is 100% the idea conceived and produced by Tree. By me. So tell us all about it. So I had the opportunity to listen in on a conversation uh, sponsored by the Downtown Brooklyn Partnerships. Um, and it was around, along the subject of facial recognition. I was completely blown away by the topic and I'm excited to share it with you guys. And it just basically talks through the pros and cons of it. I'm obviously on the pro side, so we'll see where you You're land. You're on the pro side? I'm on the pro side, yeah. Uh, okay, we will discuss it. But first what we have to do is we have to do our normal um, thing that we do in every episode. Except for our last episode, which we completely spaced. So, I know, I duh. know. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's something we do every time. This is where we find what we think is the most futuristic thing, or uh, uh, game, that makes us wow. gadget, yeah. whatever it is that we find during the week that, that we want to talk about. So uh, you have yours all ready to go, so I, I will turn it to you. Cool. So what one, I want to talk one about... One second. Normal, normal. Yes, normal, normal. Okay, go for it. Yeah, so what I want to talk about today is something that I um, discovered online, and it's called the Inform which was created by the MIT Media Lab. And basically what it is, it's like, a, if you guys are familiar with the pushpin toy from from the 80s or the 90s or something like that, it's like basically when you push your hand into something, it reacts to you and sort of like replicates what you're doing. But this is even cooler because it interacts with you in a remote way or like through the internet. So for example, you could like put a ball on it and it could roll around based on your interaction with the pushpins or, um, I don't know, what would be another good example of it? Well, a good, what, you, what you showed me when we, when we were doing our pre-production was like a little ball yeah. that someone in the internet is interacting with the device. So you're in California, I'm in right. New York, right. and I have and a little interface, and yeah. I can actually, by, by using all these little push pins, I can lift it um, and move it. Right. Um, and the amount of, of th- be able to move a physical object Right. Based upon interaction through the internet, is the the implications of that are like it's unbelievable. I mean, you could actually register real life objects using like I think I'm not sure what they use, but it was like the Microsoft Kinetic Sensor or something like that. And basically, they were able to replicate the movement that you programmed in. Yeah. So the one of the things you showed there, they have a ball that someone from through the through the web is moving it through a maze. Uh, and other things, but I, you know, the thing that I thought about it last night after we talked about it yesterday was one of the one of the most dangerous things that we do for our astronauts are you know spacewalks. Yeah. And so the idea that you know we could potentially move and manipulate things through the web, like can you imagine? If, you don't even have to be there. Right. So, putting your life at risk. Yeah. So yeah. if you look around the city, all these cranes, you know, that people that it's about bringing things up, and a human being has to, you know, if you could actually start creating machines in which somebody could could basically sit at a desk and and control taking lumber right. off or control whatever the physical objects through the through the cyber world. I that, think I think what you're talking about is definitely like replicating motor skills. Yeah. Which is awesome. But it could actually do even more than that. It can have the potential to replicate or render digital content in a physical world too. Oh. So like maybe showing your mom how to like plug in the internet or something like it, it could potentially like push the buttons for you. You know what? Like really ultimately, cool. what vision I, th- I think of? Yeah. I think of Terminator Two. Yes, that, that, I was thinking that too. Yeah. <laughs> that liquid character <laughs> yeah. that could be controlled elsewhere. It's like oh, your mom's like the internet's not working. You're like, mom, I'm not driving all the way to like West Bumble or wherever. 
West Bumble wherever? Uh, like, <laughs> what state is West Bumble in? <laughs> like, I don't know, Nyack. But, um, uh, so basically, yeah, you could just, like, use this thing to, like, have your mom show it up on the on the video thing, and then it would um, it would just do the actions for you. Yeah, so really you, cool. you could actually control it. You could actually um, manifest stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of these things that that you can kind of wrap your head around. Right. But you can't wrap your head around right. what it really could do. And it's so I'm hard limited to by my thoughts because I know what I would want it to do in my current life. But the things that it could do for so many other people with, like, disabilities and yeah, people yeah. with, like, you know, yeah, yeah. job I mean, constraints. And right now the, the what they're showing are the pins are what they remind me of, like, pixels, right? Yes. And so right now the pixels are very large mm -hmm. but the more detailed yeah. the more you know the smaller those pins yeah. get the more you know that you literally can reach a hand through the web yeah. and grab something point at something it, or something it, like that it, right. it, who knows i can't it's I'm hard excited. to see I'm that, so excited this is a very cool and we're now tell us where you found that we'll we'll also put it up on the website which is yeah. revision.nyc exactly. that we post videos of everything so we'll post this up and everybody can take a look at it there so i'm in an engineering chat which just like a bunch of friends there's like this ongoing joke that like a bunch of my friends are engineers for like a lot of things like mechanical uh software you know so we just have like an engineer chat and then i'm the designer in the group because i'm a i'm like an, a web architect or whatever you want to call it so this is just one of the links that my friends sent me and they sent me really good stuff but this one really stood out yeah that yeah. one this is amazing this is amazing cool. i want to hear about yours okay so mine for this week was something that i actually dealt with um it's not um theoretical mm -hmm. it's not something that's being developed it's actually something that I am actually doing um, and what it is is this uh, okay so let's talk about how music is created for a minute right now if if you're a filmmaker let's say and you want to have someone do a score the old way that you imagine like the old movies is that you have John Williams and he hires an orchestra mm -hmm. and then the orchestra creates this stuff and they sit there and they work with a click track, you know, that counts off and they play the music. That's not really what happens anymore. Almost all the instruments and have been digitized. So What do you mean they've been digitized? Okay, so imagine uh, you're a violin player. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you go into a studio and they have this really complicated microphone set up and you play a note so you just play a single note and they go great play the next note you play the next note and you essentially play every single note that that instrument can do right uh, like and, on a range and, yeah and wow. so they record it and that that becomes what's known as a sample mm -hmm. so those are sampled sounds and this is something that that i started to be aware of uh, gosh when i was in high school that's just started coming out and it wasn't really there and in the last few years, I really started getting into it. Well, now the samples and the amount of music that they've cataloged are insane. Like, and now the big thing is cataloging human voices. So, right. one of the ones that I'm working with now is an operatic sound. Uh, there's another one which is a, more of a soul sound. So, if you think of like a lot of the great, um, like a lot of like Rolling Stone albums or Pink Floyd albums, they had these great soul singers. Right. Uh, and if you've seen the movie Fifty Feet from Stardom, you know all about that. But they're digitizing their their voices and, and using so, them as soundboards and using them, so to speak. Yeah, so that if I if I, as a nothing composer, want to have that level of quality, I can actually pull in these samples and use it in any way that I want with any note, even to the point that I can actually start assigning words for it to right. sing. So having access to this sort of thing is like profound. Like it's it's insane. It's it's literally one of the most insane things. I was doing a demo. And I was able to add full choirs that sound amazing. I was able to add every single instrument that I play is one of these sampled um, instruments. So my piano uh, is the Steinway Grand, which is, you know... Very expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> and I'm just sitting in my little apartment playing a Steinway Grand. And it's even to the point that I can adjust where they place the microphone mm. in the cathedral where the wow. choir singing. And so, and you can pick the mic so you get the sound that you want, and you can adjust every conceivable level of sound design on this. And and the reason why I bring this up is because it's it's something that's absolutely fascinating that we've talked about. I've always used the analogy of that if you're a designer, eventually everybody's going to design every conceivable logo. So that's not a great place to be. At. Right. Um, 
well, for uh, your violin player that I mentioned, it might be a little bit hard. You play every now and then gigs. we're not going to need you on your. You know, in, in compared to the seventies, in the seventies you go from soundstage to soundstage, you play for every movie that's out there, and now since they've sampled it, you know, um, Hans Zimmer, for instance, uses samples almost exclusively. You know, until you know some of the big projects. Hans still, Zimmer know. uses samples. Oh God, yeah, that's where I learned it from. Okay. Um, so they use the, on most of the films, especially independent films, most of the music that you will hear, not a real instrument played on most of those films. Mm. It's all these samples played through a keyboard, and then uh, put through, you know, a, 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 a software product like. Uh, I always forget the name of my product that I use. Yeah. I always want to call it Final Cut, but that's not what it's called. Yeah. But anyways, that's not the point. Um, Final Cut's for movie editing. Yeah, right. I'm going to cut all this out, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> anyways, you play it through through your software product, um, and that's how you compose nowadays. And I'm just bringing that up because it is literally the future now. Uh, that's, that's one of the most mind-blowing things, the fact that I can have access to full choirs and full orchestras right. and full full whatever you want. Every conceivable sound is being cataloged and made available for everybody to use. So that's it's it's an amazing time to be alive, an amazing time to be a composer. It's great. Yeah, pretty cool. Maybe I'll write a song. You should. I, uh, <laughs> I, I uh, uh, earlier today, I offered to... Um, oh no, to, don't to, tell them. <laughs> to give Patricia Letter here one of the, my demos that I did. And, I and I've been waiting for this for weeks, by the way. Yeah, she's been waiting for weeks because I've been, like, stressed, and and uh, I rickrolled her. Um, so I was pretty proud of that, actually. She just she just looked up at me and, like, oh, God damn it, did you rickroll me? I'm like, I did. I did. I'm very proud of it. I did. So, okay. Oh. <laughs> You're giving me grays, man. You're giving me grays, Grayson. Well, actually... Is that why they call you Grayson? Yeah, because I give people gray hair. Um, actually, your eye roll would have gone through the internet. I think everybody <laughs> physically felt that eye roll uh, from a second ago. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about... Um, this episode. This episode, yeah. which, and the facial rec- recognition. Um, so this was a this was a facial recognition conference in Brooklyn that you went to. Yes, I was there, and I got the opportunity to listen to someone from the ACLU, a representative from the NYPD Detective Bureau, um, uh, esteemed professor from NYU, and lastly, a um, prized worker from Mozilla Foundation. And I have to say, the the room was well balanced. Definitely got both ends of the spectrum, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Okay, let's get into it. Hello, my name is Noah Levinson. I'm a, I'm a software engineer and an artist, uh, currently working with the Mozilla Foundation. Hi, uh, my name is Jonathan Stribling-Us. I'm a technologist fellow at the New York ACLU. Hi, the sire already sort of called me out. Sire Nasserman, I'm not sire, <laughs> and uh, I'm not a genius. It's my students who are smart. I just take credit for all the work they do. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Chief Jason Wilcox I'm with the NYPD Detective Bureau. Um, one of the units that work directly for me and with me and who do a great job on my facial identification section. So uh, hopefully I'll get to talk a little bit about them and what they do. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Chief Wilcox, if, if you wouldn't mind starting, um, I'm going to ask basically everybody the same question to begin with, but um, what to you are the promise? What is the promise of facial recognition? And also, what do you think are the dangers of it? So, the promise is, from my seat and my job, is to keeping the people that work in New York City, the people that live in New York City, the people that visit New York City, keeping them safe and keeping them safer. And one of the things that we use to do that in a very focused and responsible manner is we use facial identification technology to identify people that commit crimes in New York City. So the way we do that is very focused. So when we talk about the images that are out there, it's a vast universe, right? You walked into this building, I'm sure your, your, your images were taken. So how, 
from a police point of view, from an NYPD point of view, do we harness that gigantic um, universe of images, bring it down to a focal point, direct it in a precise manner, and use it responsibly and fairly to identify criminals, to hopefully identify them, and then hopefully, you know, they will be uh, prosecuted for the crimes that they're committing. And that, that's not an easy task. It's a very vast and, and difficult uh, job. But, so let, let's talk a little bit about facial identification and the way the NYPD uses it. We are investigative driven. So part of the things, this, I wanna talk about what we do and what we do not do which plays into some of the cons and the negatives. So what we do do is we are investigative driven. So a crime happens, somebody reports it to us, we're made aware of it, and what happens? Usually officers or detectives go out and obtain an image or a photograph or something, and then those detectives now forward that information through a request to our facial identification section in hopes of making a match. So we apply technology, and one thing that we do, and we're very cautious and careful about, we only take the image that's given to us, and it can come from multiple sources. We take that image and we only apply it to a database, we call a photo manager, of mugshots, of, of photographs of people that have been arrested. So that's the way we apply the technology. What we do not do, and we will not do, is generally apply it across the board where we're just scanning multiple, you know, uh, people walking down the street or walking into the subway or walking into Macy's or walking wherever, trying to identify who's wanted, who has a warrant. We do not do that. Why not? That is not our focus because that now can take us into potential dangers where now you're just generalizing. If you're doing it in a certain area, you could be almost considered to be profiled. We do not do that. We stay focused. We are investigative driven. We, are, we receive images from detectives in every corner of every community in New York City, every borough, and including transit. So these, that's the way it works. We get images and then we apply them and hopefully we can get a match. And, and one, of the, just, uh, one of the important mantras of our facial identification section, so when they do the technology, which I cannot explain, that's way over my head, but when they do the technology and they get a match, which comes back to a person that has been arrested, we clearly state to the investigator that this is not a positive match and this is not probable cause to arrest. So much more work, we give it back to the investigator that we got it from, and now we, we say, okay, now you have to go do your work and make a proper identification before you make an arrest. So nobody in New York City, is. we get an, an image, it's a facial hit to that guy, go arrest him. That's not what we do, and that's not what's happening. So just I wanna give you a really quick sense of the universe of the kind of Images we're getting based on investigations last year in 2018. So, 115 murders, 139 rapes, 614 assaults, 1,200 robberies, uh, 557 burglaries, and 1,800 grand larcenies. So, what's a grand larceny? It's a myriad of different types of crimes. So, a grand larceny can be the guy or the person that steals your phone, snatches your iPhone out of, out of your hand, and runs down the street. It can be the person that picked your pocket on the subway and you had no idea until you got off the train. It can be also the person that when you're in the coffee shop, or I'm not gonna say which one you choose, and you're, you're focused on your laptop like those gentlemen are, and somebody comes behind you and they take your wallet out and then they use your credit card at Target or wherever. Those are the types of grand larcenies that we can apply the recognition to. So that's. The bottom line, the pro, the bottom line pro is the way we apply it is to make New York City safer and we do it fairly and responsibly. The con, the concerns, which I know are gonna be talked about here, are the things that we stay away from. The mass viewing of people walking down the street trying to identify 
but profiling or anything like that, that is not what we use it for. So you're, you're really taking images that are taken from maybe like security cameras, um, uh, public, go ahead. Again, listen, you know, I'm looking at the audience, very young, very tech savvy, right? Where do we get images from? From mostly, many, quite often, surveillance cameras, right? In the subway, in your building, on the street, the bubble that's outside, that's, that's a game changer for us. We're getting images, you know, there are very few buildings in any community in the city that don't have some sort of video camera in the lobby, or the elevator, or on the side of the building. That's a reality, and we, we use that. And we do use that. And another image that we get, and it's very important because everybody, does anybody in this room not have a cell phone with a camera? No, me neither. So we get images quite often, and we see it in transit a lot, images from victims of crimes. And we see it in, in the subway where a victim, usually a woman, is groped or sexually assaulted or abused. And we've had it where the woman, the victim, now gets her phone out and takes a picture, usually a very good picture, of the suspect. We're getting those images as well. And then we take that, the detective gives it to us, we apply it, and then I think we've had somewhere over 30, 33 hits this year of matches of sex-related crimes in transit. You apply it, meaning you, you run it against your database of mugshots? Right, so now we're getting technical. It's, we run it, there's, there's a data works, there's an algorithm and landmark, facial landmarks. The science of it is, is not my business. Um, I have people here with me that, that, that can talk to you later about that. But we apply uh, the science, the technology of facial identification software to the images that we're receiving. So again, we are investigative driven. We are not general. We're not walking down the street with our body cams. Everybody knows that police officers have body cams. We're not scanning uh, communities. We're not scanning crowds. Oh, she's wanted, he's wanted. We do not do that. We are focused. So so let's get on to some of that tech and, uh, and sorry to cut you off, but I'm going to be cutting all you guys off. Okay, so that was the NYPD uh, officer, detective, obviously. Yeah. What were your thoughts on uh, what he had to say? Um, he was one of the first speakers for the night, and uh, I think he did a really great job of explaining how this could help people on a city level. Um, actually, in the past, I did have a pickpocket uh, take my wallet out of my bag when I was walking into a department store, and they were able to find the person, and they kind of figured out through facial recognition or facial identification um, that this wasn't an isolated incident, like people, ha this same individual had done it before. So I could see that as a plus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's actually really fascinating because that, that is, goes to saying exactly what he was saying that, that it's for, right? Right. And that it works in that sense. But what is really interesting is the fact that, okay, so if you look at all the television shows, it's yeah. all the NYPD, yeah. and you think that the NYPD CSI would have like this amazing stuff and it's really not it's not it's not it's there. a database of faces right that that it's scrub and it's machine learning yeah, yeah. so it, i i find i found that kind of interesting that it was like eh. but though i'm going to hold some of my comments because and i'm going to give a little bit a little bit of a spoiler because i know that we're several minutes into it but when the aclu person comes on oh yeah he really he blows his shit up he blows the the, the detective stuff it. up i'm just saying stay I will, I will say that mm -hmm. the NYPD Detective Bureau representative did oversimplify the use of the technology. Because I know, like, I think anybody sure. can just look it up online. It's not just about the face. It's about the gait of the sure. person walking. It's about the height. So I, I think, like, just making it specifically about the face isn't fair. Because you can ad definitely identify people by the way that they walk, too. Sure, sure. And I, I actually, I will say that I really thought... The detective was on point. I think he handled it. Yeah, I mean, what a tough position to be in. It's like, you're talking about, okay, we are going to use machine learning. We're going to use AI to potentially arrest people. Right. And if we get it wrong, we're going to send people to jail that, that shouldn't be in jail. Be in jail. Right. So he, there's it's big pressure. It's yeah. a big pressure. So I, I, you know, him, him 
kind of having a, a, a fine line that he was trying to stay um, on, I totally appreciated that. Yeah. And then, then later on, you'll, you, you can see. But, um, but as far as I, I think that this concept of using it is interesting uh, in the sense that it, it should be a tool that is, helps in like 10 percent yeah like facilitates but doesn't Facil- lead. right right and i yeah. think that was was when i was listening i thought this is fascinating but uh, um but yeah uh okay so let's uh go to the next section so the the technology is essentially what we call pattern recognition in the good old days, it was. Doctor Mamma, could you a little? So in the good old days, it was extracting features from the face, right? And and like simple things like location of the eyes, distance between the eyes, nose, lips, etc. So getting features, a bunch of them, and then matching them against the features. You never get an exact match; you get an approximate match. And especially the illumination, the pose, the inclination, the face angle, etc., make a big difference. And it's not easy. Face recognition is not easy. You see movies and CSI and all that stuff where it all works magically. Uh, but but actually, it, it depends on the lighting and the kind of the image that you capture. In a controlled circumstance, right? When you're going through a tunnel or standing in front of a camera, it can be done very well, right? But like the Boston bomber, for example, right? The Boston bombing case. Pictures of the perpetrator were there, right? Surveillance cameras showed. But when they did a match, the actual person, I don't know what database they matched it against, uh, and, and, and the actual person was actually way down in the list. Right? It's only some human who saw that picture and said, hey, I know that guy. Right? So the, the algorithms really did not work. Uh, and today with machine learning, uh, are some people for marketing purposes call it AI, but it's actually just statistics and machine learning that's happening. Uh, so using machine learning, we're getting better. Right, we'd be able to generate better models, uh, but then there are problems with those models in the sense that we don't fully understand them. They're black boxes. How, how so much better do you think we are today than five years ago with this technology? Uh, unexpectedly better for me. Uh, remarkably better. I did not expect such results. Uh, yeah. And uh, how much better do you expect we'll be in five years? Uh, I think not much more. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've, I've seen technology it goes. It jumps, there jumps, right? And then there's a plateau for a long time. Right? And maybe minor improvements and things like that, but that's my opinion. I don't know. Most of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> so now the benefits, right? So it's a very hard thing to hear that NYPD uh, uses it in a, in a responsible way. So clearly it contributes to security and, and uh, of society at large if it's done in a responsible way. And, and then there's convenience. I mean, I walk up to my door, it should open, saying, hey, Nasir, how are you? Right? I walk up to go to a coffee shop, uh, I just say, hey, I want a coffee, and they just recognize my face, charge my card, give me the coffee, and I'm done. Right? Uh, so, so my face could potentially authenticate me, right? and life could be easy if you don't have to pull out cards and enter passwords and things like that. Whether it's possible or not, I'm not sure. After all, your face is not a secret. Everybody knows your face. Uh, so somebody can spoof it, replicate it, and so those issues come up, and they're complicated. Uh, but I think the danger is... Yeah. Real quick, mm-hmm. somebody could replicate your face? Um, what do you mean? There are a couple of ways. One is like all this mask and all that stuff. Right? Somebody could wear because a mask and yeah. come to your house or, and your or, door would open? <laughs> make, make them, yeah, like pretend to be me. Make make them into with the makeup and things like that. So that's the obvious traditional thing that comes to my, your mind, right? That how do I uh, pass off as Nasir? And when Sire said that he was Nasir Menu, he would need a very very good plastic surgeon to actually make that happen. Right? So uh, so so that's the obvious way. But there are other ways, right? If it's a machine learning system, people have shown that actually, if one knows the model, the machine learning model that is being used. I can actually simply color my glasses in a particular way that I would be recognized as Sire, right? Uh, and he's nowhere as good looking as I am, but still I could <laughs> Are you talking about sort of like ultraviolet? No, not even ultraviolet, right? No, no ultraviolet. This is simply fooling the model, 
right? These machine learning models are susceptible. So like sunglasses? <laughs> yeah, sunglasses. Sunglasses with a pattern on it. And researchers have shown that that's possible. You can fool the system in, in that way. So the third is, of course, if you're, you, you, you wave a picture or, or, or things of that sort. And, and, and the fourth is kind of the recent work that I'm doing is, is based on the notion of a master face, right? Uh, a face that tends to match others with high probability. Can one create a face like that? Uh, I think it can be done. I've done it with fingerprints. I've done it with voice. And I'm looking to do it with faces. So there are different ways in one. Because once you know the face, you can then do certain things to try and spoof that face. Right? What? Like the four things I mentioned, right? The oh. mask, the master face. If you know the model, certain changes that you can make. And, and things like that. So, 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 so one has to uh, uh, counter all these possibilities, and they'll always be there. Right? Security is a cat and mouse game. Right? Uh, so, but the danger, I think, is uh, anonymity. Right? I, I believe that in any healthy society, uh, citizens have need the ability to to uh, remain anonymous if they choose to. Uh, without anonymity, dissent starts becoming sort of shaky, and if citizens are not able to dissent, uh, then we don't have a healthy society. There would have been no Boston Tea Party if there was no dissent, right? Dissent is essential to democracy. Dissent is how we evolve our, our society, and, and if everybody is recognized everywhere all the time, you have a problem. NYPD is not doing that. I'm not, Right? But, but there could be societies or countries where that, that starts happening. Technology takes you there. And I think that's, that's a problem. It could already be happening in China, really. I don't know. I don't want to point fingers, but I'm just saying that if it happens, it's a problem. Okay, I thought this part was fascinating. Yeah. Basically, this is how it works. This is uh, also kind of going into showing how it's not an exact science, right? Right. He wasn't, he wasn't very impressed by, yeah, he wasn't exactly impressed by the collection of the features, but he thinks holistically that it was helpful for society. I mean, I definitely want to take a class with this guy. Yeah. I really, uh, I actually worked on a couple of AI projects myself. Uh, I shouldn't say AI, some machine learning projects. And there's always someone like this guy in the group yeah. that is like, guys, it's... We've been doing this for years. What are you talking about? It's just a machine. Yeah. Don't, let's not get carried away. It's just a machine. It, it is insane. And later on, he'll talk about this. But, you know, he talks about it. They're, they're, it's really dumb. It's input in and put out. Right. You know, the machine knows what you tell it to know. Right. And so I thought, you know, it, I thought it was actually really good of them to have him on the... Uh, on the platform, uh, but yeah, so that was good. So now, so now we can go on. I think the next one is the ACLU, yes, uh, which uh, you definitely want to stick around for. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's a bunch of. I'm, I'm a little more on the con side here. I know we're supposed to look at benefits and risks, um, but I think that uh, in terms of the the real risks that facial surveillance has when applied in a especially kind of a dragnet way um, are really severe. And they really challenge a lot of our normal concepts of how we can be in public and that we do have a privacy interest to be in public even, right? And this is something the Supreme Court has recognized and there is something that uh, we want to uphold in our law enforcement and in our society in general. This is why we've seen these bans passed recently in San Francisco and Somerville and Massachusetts as well as in Oakland banning facial recognition. Um, but I think you know it's important for people to understand that this is something that is happening right now. So, um, you know, who here as a child was taught not to give out your name and address to strangers? Everybody? Great, good, good parenting, that's nice. Um, so unfortunately, that's what facial surveillance direct nets do, is they give out name and address to strangers by default, right? Um, and this is what uh, we're seeing happening uh, with law enforcement across the country, including especially um, the FBI. So who here would just uh, go to, say, a, a lineup. If an officer showed up at your door and said, hey, you need to come down to be a part of the lineup, just go ahead and do that right off the bat. No? Okay, good. couple people, very nice. Um, but most people have some concerns about that. They'd want to know what was going on. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, the FBI has about half of U.S. American citizens uh, in a facial recognition database where it's part of a perpetual lineup, right? Uh, that's 117 million Americans. 
through their um, driver's licenses have been put into an FBI uh, facial recognition database that's been used over 200,000 times um, to try to identify suspects, right? So this is an ongoing and current issue. Um, and real, real quick, I mean, that's, that sounds scary sort of, but like what, what would the actual scary impact of that be? Uh, I mean, I think first there's a suppression of dissent in general, just because people will realize that they, by going out in public, their face could become part of some sort of a, um, a you know, a dragnet that the, the police are after. At the same time, um, you know, the facial recognition systems are not actually accurate, um, so this has been a big issue, and they're inaccurate in very um, biased and, and harmful ways, in the sense that they are, uh, you know, inaccurate uh, with people of color, women and children in particular and especially people who uh, sit on the, the points of all of the identities. So in particular, uh, the best scientific research that we've seen coming out of MIT say 34.7% uh, 30, uh, inaccurate for dark-skinned women, right? Um, and that's the, that's the high-level uh, you know, facial recognition systems that we have right now. That's not Amazon recognition, which is you know something that ACLU, we did a bunch of tests on, and we actually had uh, about 28 different uh, congresspeople who were identified as suspects from mugshots on the basis of uh, inaccuracy, uh, and, and those are all con congresspeople of color for the most part. Um, so this is the kind of way in which these uh, systems are used in a way that is um, cr creating and enhancing biases that already exist in our society, and something we need to be very concerned about. Um, at the same time, the you know the congressional or the um, standards that we see from the Supreme Court have said that you have a privacy interest in public, right? This is CATS, which is the um, kind of broad um, Supreme Court holding that is current law that says that even if you're in public, um, you have an interest in your identity, right? You don't have to give out your social security number and your name and your you know, date of birth to anyone who just walks up to you on the street. Um, and this is where you see the kind of uh, dragnet facial surveillance being used inappropriately. And unfortunately, the chief is saying that the NYPD is using it uh, in, a, in a limited way, um, but that's not actually what we've seen from the from the NYPD's own documents. And so, uh, you know, there's uh, a good uh, report that came out from Georgetown uh, Center on Law and Technology where they specifically looked at uh, you know FOIA documents from the NYPD, and in those documents, um, the NYPD used, for example, the face of Woody Harrelson to search for someone who they thought looked kind of like Woody Harrelson. Um, who was stealing beer from a CVS, right? So this is, they had an image of someone who stole beer, they put his face in the facial recognition system, they didn't get a hit, so then, because it wasn't a good photo, and so then the, the, um, some of the detectives said, oh, well, we should just uh, you know, search for Woody Harrelson on the internet, because he kind of looks like Woody Harrelson, and then we'll put that through the facial recognition system, and then maybe we'll get a hit, right? Um, and so this is something that we've seen, uh, you know, there. The NYPD is uh, using the domain awareness system, which is 6,000 cameras um, throughout Lower Manhattan and much of Brooklyn, um, where they have access to real-time video feeds where they are able to get uh, ongoing, uh, you know, and they've talked about testing facial recognition in that context, which would be real-time real dragnet facial recognition. And he mentioned transit as another thing, and that's the MTA, which is running real-time dragnet facial recognition on bridges and tunnels, as well as in Penn Station. Um, and that's through, uh, you know, initiative of the governor. Um, but these things are being done currently uh, as part of uh, something that is hugely impacting our uh, privacy rights and our ability to be out in public and to dissent, as you were talking about, which is incredibly important in this era where we have, uh, you know, really hateful language coming from high office. Okay. I want to, I want to turn it over to Noah, but Jonathan, I got... And also, Chief, I want to let you respond to some of those points. Um, but, uh, Jonathan, so... Uh, Jonathan, two questions for you, really short. One, how many lawsuits does the ACLU have on this topic ongoing? And two, say one good thing about facial recognition. <laughs> um, well, so the lawsuits, basically, we... Um, Just a number. Most of it has been secret, so we don't have the criterion to, to actually do, do the suits. They're not even they're not giving to us in Brady material, which is normally being able to see that uh, it's been used in uh, to go after a defendant. Uh, the NYPD and other law enforcement agencies are keeping that information secret, so that you can't even start a lawsuit. So we don't actually have a lot of lawsuits around facial recognition. That's why we need to ban it. 
because they're not even giving us enough information to begin to develop a proper legal precedent. And your second question, the good thing is being able to pick out undercover police in a crowd. All right, Noah. Yikes. Um. <laughs> uh, I honestly thought it was like very exhilarating to hear him talk. He definitely brought up topics that I like. I had no idea about like dragnets and people's faces being in the in the database just by default because you have a driver's license. I had no idea. I mean, honestly, I think I tend to like look on the bright side of things. So yeah. I think he definitely came to the conversation with facts. I had no. I I really wanted to know if he knew what the NYPD bureau detective would talk about. It's almost like he came for tit for tat. And like was ready to like debate him, yeah. But the moderator wouldn't let them, which that was pretty funny. Oh yeah, he was he was ready to fight. Well, yeah. I mean, you would expect that in ACLU, right? You, what did you expect that was going to happen? You, right? you should expect that. Right. Um, what I thought was fascinating about what he had to say was, uh, first of all, when they talked about bringing someone, would you volunteer to go to a lineup? Right. Oh God, of course not. No. Right. I don't even volunteer to go to the DMV. No. Much less go to a police lineup. I would right. never do that. But but with this. We are all in a lineup right. on a continuous basis. Involuntarily. Involuntarily. And so I, I thought that was that was really a fascinating mm-hmm. idea. Um, but the but okay, so I I have to take a step back and tell you my version of oh, this no. section. Why are you telling this? This is really funny. When uh, the day after Patricia went to this event and recorded it and thank you for doing that. Thank yeah, you. This course. is this is a great episode. No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, Let's hear yeah. the story is. <laughs> We were, we were talking about it, and she said, it, there was this really fascinating part where they talked about how they, they did a search for everybody with Woody Allen's face. Back to Woody Harrelson in the, in the context, that was fascinating. It was fascinating, yeah. Because, here, I mean, as a designer, you know that what we see isn't always true. Right. Right? right. People will look at something, and if you tell them it is something that is a certain thing, your mind will play tricks on you. I mean, to the simplest way, down to color, down to yeah. shape, down to size, like the baseline for individuals will never be consistent. Right. So I feel like that was a very unfair way to identify this man. Yeah, that, I mean, because it's fascinating. There, there's, there's an old story, um, and it could be folklore, it could be, who knows, uh, true or false, it doesn't matter. But it, but it does prove an interesting point, and that is when, um, the conquistadors first came over to Mexico that um, the people that were there couldn't see their ships uh, because they had no frame of reference. The brain couldn't put the pieces together and so they had to take one of the the leaders out to the ship and he had to put his hands on the ship and and then go, oh, this is what it is and this is how we explain it and then they could see it. And that's that's a really fascinating story so look that up. I, I encourage you to look that up. But it goes to show that the brain really does make mistakes a it lot does. of mistakes so it if does. someone says Woody Harrelson then they are instantly over into the direction that it's someone that looks like Woody Harrelson and then we don't know what this tool we is we don't know the capabilities we have no idea the capabilities of this and I think that's a big problem of us as human beings is we never admit when culturally we don't know what we're doing. Right. We we're, don't know what we're doing. We, we need to learn more. Right. You know, so, we're just constantly, like, gallivanting as experts on things. Yeah, we'll never admit the fact that we don't really understand space travel at all. But yet we're, we'll spend billions on it, right? And so there's all these things that I think is really fascinating that we still have to learn about this. But what a great, what, a, what an incredible example right. uh, for them to bring up. It was um, a well-balanced um, discussion. And I really feel like the last person who spoke really put... I feel like some flavor into the conversation. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was needed. Yeah, it was definitely needed after ACLU did made everyone pretty scared to oh. go home. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Cool. Oh, but one thing that we did want to I would I'd want to talk that I thought about after this is if you go online you do a search for how do you like they, they make clothing and they make things right. to cover yourself up so that you cannot be identified. I love it. By that and what what I thought was fascinating is they have makeup artists that paint stripes on their face and they and you look like basically the refugees from the road warrior but it actually 
does not allow the computer like to recognize you. like a QR code. You look like a QR code. You look like a QR yeah. code, but the ones that had like stripes under their yeah. eyes and stripes down the nose. To throw the all, depth perception off. Yeah, right? then, then they, cannot, the, they cannot recognize you because the eyes are in the wrong place. I'm all for that. Let's do it. I know, but what kind of weird society are we going to have where people are wearing masks that... It's going to be like the city of Naboo. What is it called? It's all, sorry, what is it called? That's not what it's called. Wait, I don't know what you're talking about. Is it like Star Wars? Like uh, Naboo? Naboo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, You know how everyone kind of looks like different, distorted? Yeah. yeah. That was a deep cut. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big Star Wars person. But oh, you're not. Okay. Well done. <laughs> I, that's the first time you stumped me. Is it? Uh, now I got to look up Naboo. Okay, <laughs> next scene, next section. All day. Well, no. <laughs> one of the one of the main reasons I, I I wanted you on this panel is because I think you bring a really different uh, perspective. That's a polite way of saying it. As um, as an artist and as a technologist, uh, you've made some creative stuff. We're actually going to be screening Noah's uh, short uh, interactive facial recognition film, I guess you'd call it, uh, in the back after this. But. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really interested in your perspective as a creative person in, uh, in terms of you know what, what promise and, and, and also what danger you see. Uh, well, so my background is in entertainment. Um, and so I focus mostly on the, uh, the entertainment and media landscape implications of emerging technology like facial recognition AI. Um, and I actually sort of look mostly at, at some of the, the cutting edge stuff that's emerging just beyond recognition. So um, if recognition can tell you something about the identity of a person, right, who this person is, uh, right now, researchers are developing increasingly sophisticated ways uh, to tell you something about uh, the character of a person, right? What a person is like. Uh, so, like, is this person happy? Uh, are they angry? Are they drunk? Are they on illegal drugs? Uh, are they mentally ill? Uh, or, like, are we, will we eventually uh, be able to learn something about the human face such that we can predict when someone's about to commit a crime uh, without knowing anything else about them? These are some of the things that are coming next. Um, and, and I mostly look at how this stuff is going to wind up in uh, consumer products and, and household applications. Like, for instance, you know, how recognition tech is creeping into apps on your mobile phone in, in ways that you might not realize. Or Can you give any examples? Sure. So um, the, the great example, or, or not great, but you know what I mean, is uh, Snapchat, right? We all know Snapchat, famous for the dog filter. Um, <laughs> Snapchat has a patent that they filed in 2015, uh, and it was approved by the government in 2018. Uh, and it's a patent, so it's publicly available. You can Google it and read through it for yourself. And this patent describes their plans to use facial emotion recognition technology on all of our selfies. So, you know, the, the primary action with Snapchat is you're pointing your camera at your face all day to, to put the dog filter on and be hilarious. Um, well, Snapchat's plan is they would like to be extracting your emotions every time you do that. Um, and, and then they're going to correlate them with your geolocation, right? Which is like this other data point that your phone is leaking all the time. So now they know how you feel about uh, wherever you're at in the world. And then they're going to sell that data uh, to the organizers of public events, right? So like concert promoters uh, or the organizers of uh, political rallies. Talks and meetups. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, or whoever else, you know, we don't know. Um, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's the danger. The danger is, you know, for better or for worse, probably for worse, we're living in this entertainment and media economy where, like, everybody on the internet expects everything for free, right? Like, nobody wants to pay for apps, nobody wants to pay a subscription for social networks, nobody, people don't want to pay very much money for music or for motion picture content or anything. Certainly, people don't want to pay for the news anymore. So like, if you're a company that creates some kind of an entertainment or media product, you suddenly find yourself in the position of having to backdoor some sleazy monetization strategy in your product. Um, and you know, increasingly, we're What makes it sleazy? <laughs> well, I mean, what makes it sleazy is, you know, so there's, there's AI operating on your face in a way that you did not explicitly consent to, right? And like, um, if, it, if it learns something about you, about the way that you feel about some place or someone or something, there's no guarantee that they can't sell that information to somebody who doesn't have your best interests in mind. Do you think it'd be less sleazy if they were more upfront about what they were doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, a lot of people are advocating for that, that, like, the, the bare minimum should just be some kind of meaningful opt-in, right? Like, there should be, I mean, I think apps should have something like a, you know, with, with AI, for lack of a better term, it's kind of like, you know, we're all, we're all eating french fries for every meal but nobody's explained to anyone what cholesterol is yet, 
right? Like, we, people just aren't aware of how this stuff can be used and what the downstream effects on society might be. So the bare minimum really ought to be something like a nutrition label that just confronts you when you open up a piece of software with what's actually inside of it. Okay, so this is the most fascinating one. This is, this I think brought up as a futurist, one of the most fascinating parts of the whole discussion that the idea that facial recognition can start telling you if people Someone's are happy. Upset, right? Yeah, if they're happy, if they're sad. So like he mentioned, in having an event, right? And everybody is taking pictures on Instagram of the event. And then you run your facial recognition through all the Instagram pictures and, and come up with some level of analytics of how happy people are. That seems insane to me. Insanely useful or insanely intrusive? A little bit of both. Well, it, is it intrusive, the fact that they're on Instagram and you know Instagram is using and sharing your stuff? But where I think it's insane is, God bless you, that's the first sneeze for our podcast. It's true. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, don't even I tried to like lean all the way to the other yeah. side so you wouldn't catch As it. As if there's not enough background noise oh. already. No. Anyways, uh, no, what I found fascinating about it is one of the hardest things that you can do in analytics is gain an emotive response. I had a friend in uh, San Francisco who has a company who basically their their entire company was built upon can we gauge an emotive response to things, um, to software or whatever. And this was this is an interesting attempt at that. I just think it's silly. Like someone could be taking a picture of them happy and going, that corn dog tasted terrible, right? And you're not going to get get the corn dog people like really good statistics right, right. based upon people laughing because you know right it's like so. those images on um on shutterstock of girls eating salad we're gonna know the truth we're gonna know that you don't <laughs> like salad you know you ever yeah. seen them like if you type it into shutterstock laughing eating salad and it's like all people just like <laughs> salad on, on a side note my favorite one is the girl from that played Khaleesi in uh, um, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Look it up. She did like the sh- Shutterstock photo shoot. Oh, did she? Where she did all like stock photography photo shoots. It's hilarious. I'll look it up. Okay. So uh, one last section here and this is where we go back a little bit to the police detective where he gets Give to him a de- chance. We get, he gets yeah. to defend himself over the Woody Harrelson. Um, and one of the things another little spoiler on this section to listen for is his kind of like I don't know what this guy looked like you saw him I didn't but I just imagined was like god damn it they brought up Woody Harrelson I was literally <laughs> gonna make that joke but I didn't know if it was insensitive he kind of looks like Woody Harrelson oh the detective dude yeah that's amazing like I not in the facial but uh-huh. like in the body type and in the From head shape Ooh, that's a good question let me get back to you yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, you could just you can hear it in his voice and I find it just kind of he's funny he's a bit of a Woody Harrelson I can find it I find it a little bit funny you can hear him just like god damn it these How ACLU you. people yeah. you, god why won't you just let the NYPD do what we gotta do that's kind of the, the feeling that and I And this got. is not us talking bad about the NYPD bureau or the ACLU at all we I just, just love the conversation yeah and you know it was very invigorating. This 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 uh, um, kind of made you a little nervous, didn't it? It did, yeah. Yeah, I can kind of tell you're a little nervous about like getting messed up, getting involved in having the government find us. And I just because don't of our facial want them work. to shut down our podcast. <laughs> I love your dedication. I'm worried about going to Guantanamo. You're just worried about the podcast. Mm, pretty so, much, yeah. Okay. I got friends, so I'm you good. Got friends. <laughs> I got friends. Okay, uh, one last section. Okay, let's, uh, Chief, I want to give you a second to respond to Jonathan's uh, points. I think he said the best use case for AI is uh, spotting undercover cops. So uh, I don't know if you have anything you wanted to, to well, respond to. Just a few points. I mean, obviously, I don't see that as a good thing at all. But I don't want, I'm not, I'm not going to turn this into like a point counterpoint thing. And uh, I didn't want to talk about Woody Harrelson tonight, but I guess I will. Um, just... Think about this, you know, we live in a very 21st century city and I think people have an expectation that the NYPD uses cutting edge technology, uses it well to keep them safe and we do that. What we do not do is DNA or DNA or facial dragnets, we do not do dragnets which is what my original point was, 
that we are focused on investigative driven cases. We are not scanning the people walking down the street trying to identify wanted people or for anything. So just I'm going to spend about 30 seconds on Woody Harrelson because it was brought up and I just think it needs to be clarified. So the facial identification section is made up of a group of skilled men and women, detectives, investigators, thoughtful people. The incident that happened where the Woody Harrelson uh, image was used was one incident of 7,000 requests that the facial unit got last year to, to scan an image. One of 7,000. Using that photo or that image of that actor, that's not standard protocol. It's not what we do in general. It's what we don't, we don't do that. It just, in that one case, where we didn't get a match, so we get, let's go back to the beginning. There's a crime occurred where a man goes into a store in Manhattan, steals beer, and then breaks a window, if I remember. The victim of that crime, the proprietor of that store, calls 911. So remember, there is a victim here. We respond, we get image, video image, surveillance image from the store, it makes its way through the detective to our unit, and we apply it to, the, to our adult database, we don't get a match. That detective, who I expect to be proactive and creative and thoughtful, those, the detectives are not algorithms. These are real people. These are real detectives, skilled. Saw the photo of the, of the suspect, and I'll just say he's a suspect, and thought he looked like an actor, a well-known actor, and applied that to this and actually did get a hit, a match, which led to an identification, which did lead to an arrest, a lawful arrest. And yeah, I don't really want to get into a point-to-point a, a -point thing either, although right. you did have some good money, Jonathan. Um, but, uh, uh, and I don't, and I certainly respect his point of view and the concerns that he raised. You know, and I've, I have my conversations all the time with my facial uh, people, my supervisor here, my inspectors here that runs the, the unit. You know, as, as dedicated and diligent as we are to solving crime, we also want to make sure that the technology we're using is also not getting false identifications. So people are not getting arrested by misidentifications on facial technology. We do not. That has never happened. That brings up a point I really want to ask you about, which is that um, in you know in recent years uh, we've we've really seen the limitations and a lot of times the uh, faultiness of eyewitness identification. Um, uh, you know whether it's in finding suspects and in, in court testimony. Do you think that facial recognition has an ability to um, improve, uh, replace, or improve? eyewitness testimony or, or eyewitness identification? I don't think it will ever replace because, you know, the victim is, is a key factor in, in the crime and, and articulating what happened to them and eventually, you know, we have to bring that, whatever we do, no matter what we do, we're open to review. It has to be brought to the district attorney and it has to follow its, its course. But we, you mentioned earlier that uh, the technology has improved. You know, the iPhone you bought 10 years ago is certainly not the iPhone you buy now. So when the facial identification section started, I think in 2011, fast forward to now, I mean, the technology is improving. Software improves. We understand that. So as the technology improves, as it makes it, uh, improves our ability to get closer and closer and closer, narrowing it down, to making a proper identification, it moves us farther and farther and farther away from the world of making misidentifications. Yeah, great. Dr. Mehman, I had a question for you. Um, speaking also off of Jonathan's point about uh, racial uh, bias or, or at least racial, uh, the misuse, the, you know, 
miscategorization and racial right. and racial identification. Right. Do you think that's that's something that could just be improved uh, through technology? Of course. Do you think that'll be a problem in the future? I don't think so. Okay. I, I think uh, I mean, how do you train a machine learning model? Right? You call it AI. Actually, it's very dumb. Uh, you give it like millions of images of cats, millions of images of dogs, and say, "This is a cat. This is a dog." You label it. And the thing learns over time that, yeah, I can tell a cat apart from a dog. So it's the training data, right? Sorry. It's, it's the training data that is provided to the model uh, leads to the efficacy of the model, right? When I, when I first came to this country, I mean, I, I'd never seen people of certain races, and they all looked the same to me. Right? I had not been trained on them, right? It's the same thing with machine learning. It's, it's simply what you train, if the training sets did not include examples of a particular demographic, then perhaps the results would be weaker on that. Emotions and stuff, same thing. I mean, how will you train machine learning system to recognize emotions? Is there some magic out there, mathematical formula? No. You just give it a lot of pictures labeled angry, happy, blah, 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 and then it learns to pick it up, right? But I mean, my wife keeps tells me that you're giving me that black face again, right? <laughs> so, so not everybody looks angry in the same way. Or, 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 uh, so, it again, uh, there are sort of limitations to these what these techniques can do. Uh, we are enamored by the idea of AI or some like this some superhuman kind of a thing, but underneath, uh, it's it's simple statistics. That's all that's going on. Uh, and it's kind of almost blind statistic learning by example. And perhaps that's how we also learn, right? As, as young children, we, we see these images all the time, and then our visual system ends up learning how to recognize certain objects. So we're kind of simulating that. So it's a matter of training. The algorithms are not racist, right? They can be corrected. Uh, math is not racist. It can be corrected, and, and we can improve on those things. Okay, so things heated up a little bit. Ugh, spicy. That was this. This was, by the way, it was during this time. I think you sent me a text. Um, that just, what did you say? You sent me a text I about. I said, "Ooh, it's getting it's getting hot in here," and I put like an alert symbol <laughs> yeah. and like toxic waste or something like that. I don't know. She sent me a text like, "All oh, the fights breaking out." The I think. I so think this part of the conversation, mm -hmm. Assistant Chief Jason Wilcox got to give his um his response to. The member from the ACLU, Jonathan Sterbling use I think it's USS. But okay. um, so, what do you think about that? Well, okay. So Jonathan, ACLU guy, I got a bit. Like when they said, "What? What are the uses?" You should have seen how much he had to hold back his anger when the police <laughs> uh, detective was talking. Really, he was just shaking. He was just like, Ugh. it was a little snarky to say that the the best use of facial recognition is to spot undercover, undercover cops. cops. That yeah. was a little bit snarky. That's like, okay, come on, I'm going to fight you. Yeah. Like, let, I, let's have an argument. Them's us fighting words, and you know? Can I make a point? Can, yeah. I, can I go off? You know I don't like talking a lot about politics. Sure. But the debates were on last night, and this, yeah, and I got to thinking, are we really electing people, or do we buy into people because they give the best sick burn I know. on television? It's like... You're going to lead my country. Are you? I mean, it's the debates. It's like we're just waiting for that sound bite, someone to do like a really good sick burn. And then you got to ask yourself, is that why we have who we have in power? Because he's a sound bite machine. Right. He's Awful. a mean machine. He's a right? mean machine, but but God, does it work on Twitter and sound bites. Yeah. And, it, and, and that's kind of how I felt a little bit on this. Like, right, right. oh, yeah, I think it's best for undercover cops. What are you going to do, real detective of... La, you know, New York. Of la da like, Were you going to say la, -da? la da You know, it's, it's like, are we really, can we not have this discord where it's not like, right. let's break into like uh, the Real Housewives of Los Angeles or whatever right. kind of mentality? Right. I so, mean, there I, was this conversation that says that Taylor Swift uses it at her concerts, you know, facial recognition, to check for her stalkers. So she has her own database system oh. too and scans the crowd and makes sure that they're not in the crowd. Really? Yeah. I think that's fascinating. That is fascinating. Um, no, so I think... Uh, yeah, so I thought that debate was really good. I mean, every, you heard it. So, but let me ask you, just like they did, what do you think is the positive use? What is the best positive use of facial recognition? I think that there are, there's a lot of room for error, mm -hmm. you know, like with without using facial recognition. And I think that there's a lot of room for error for using it. But I, I somehow, for some reason, feel safer knowing that 
if we at least have some sort of monitoring and we have rights for that monitoring, then we're all a little safer. Yeah. I would say my thought on the most positive thing uh, is on kidnappings and children that are taken and other things like that, that if you can imagine, like a lot of, I'm, I'm working on a project that I'm doing a lot of studying on kids that are taken and um, and one of the things is they may be gone for 10 years right. and they age them like in a drawing, oh, yes, yes. but with this they could Digital find, they could find yeah. these kids and like just something as simple as, let's say a kid's gone for five years, he's been essentially brainwashed by the people that took the him. Captor, yeah. He's walking through Central's, you know, Central Park and gets picked up by a camera uh, and they can say, oh, that's him. And, and get them back to the family. In places where they've stopped looking for kids and they stopped looking for people that have been kidnapped or that are lost or, right, right. or that have had injuries or homeless people that are on the street that have family that are looking for them, um, I think that's for me the most positive sense that there could be something that we could find these people i mean it says a lot too that this um this viral app that's happening right now the face app yeah where you can uh digitally age yourself or Mm -hmm. or like de-age or make yourself younger yeah but um the fact that that technology is at our hands it really just makes you think at what what's at the hands of the corporates you know what i mean what's at the hands of a large-scale tool like this yeah it yeah it does um Okay, well, this was, a, this was a fascinating episode. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Of course. It's really good, and I hope everybody can get over the sound in the city, and we'll uh, speak with everybody soon. That's well.